0: Uh, You know, it's been said that when we arrive in heaven, that uh, there's going to be a lot of wows upon arrival. Um, Three wows in particular. The first one will be, wow, I can't believe that some of the people that I was so sure were going to be here aren't. Wow. Um, The second wow is that, wow, I can't believe that there's people I never expected would be here. And here they are. And, uh, and the third and the loudest wow, I think, is going to be, wow, I can't believe that I'm here, right? Um, we're in the first chapter of Matthew's gospel, and it starts out the Christmas story by telling about uh, the Lord's lineage, his, his family tree, his genealogy. And I think it's kind of like gives us a little foretaste of what heaven is like because some of the names that we encounter there, they, they make us say, wow, like I never would have expected someone like that to be connected to Jesus' story, to his actual family line. And so what we've been doing is we're looking at some of the broken branches on Jesus' family tree and um, and seeing how the stories behind them and how it was that they got wrapped into this This great redemption story that God has been writing through the centuries that culminated on that morning when Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, and so, um, and so you can see it uh, if this if it's behind me. That's just a sample of what, uh, of what it starts out with. And last week, we started and looked at uh, a woman whose name was Tamar and her story. And this morning we're looking at another lady. Her name is Rahab. And, and Matthew tells us that she gave birth to a son named Boaz, and, um, and there's, there's a story behind that name, quite a story, actually. And, and to get to it, we have to flip from Matthew, the, the first book of the New Testament, all the way back in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to flip back, and as you're doing that, Um, Let me set up the scene and tell you a little bit about what is going on here. So Joshua takes place um, when the Israelites, God's people, were on the verge of entering and occupying the promised land. So if you know the story, um, they had been slaves in Egypt for, I think, 500 years, and and then God raised up Moses and he led them out. And the game plan was to proceed directly onto the promised land. It was do not stop, do not collect $200, just go directly into the promised land. And right before they were about to do that, Moses sends out 12 spies to do a little reconnaissance. So they go into the land and they were supposed to come back and give a report. And when they come back, Um, Two of the 12 spies, Caleb and Joshua, they returned with this good report, this courageous report. Uh, They said, guys, we are ready to go. We've got this. The land is good. And with God's help, we are going to take it. Let's go. That was the minority report. But then there was also the majority report. The other 10 spies, they came back saying something very different. They said, we can't do this. He said, the dudes in that land are giants. We are like grasshoppers compared to them. And there's just no way we can take them on. They're just just too much. It's too big for us. And that faithless report spread throughout the community of the Israelites, and unbelief just settled in. And and that unbelief, uh, it says, displeased the Lord. And so the game plan got derailed. It got grounded. That that unbelief disqualified those people from moving forward, from entering the promised land. And as a result, they spent the next 40 years wandering around the wilderness. That entire unbelieving generation died off, every one of them except for Caleb and Joshua, those two spies that gave the good report. So, um, see, their story... um, it does share a little bit of some similarities to the stories that we are used to hearing around the Christmas season. So, so there's that song, and I think it goes, you know, um, is Josh Groland maybe it is? And you know, you can have, every, I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Um, <laughs> you have everything you need if you just believe, right? And I think in a way, God was singing that song to his people. Come on, would you believe? And maybe he's singing that to us right now, that when it comes to seeing God's purposes take shape in our lives, believing him, believing God is that one essential ingredient that cannot get left out. A lot of other things can get left out, but belief can't. Now, the difference between the Christmas stories and and this story that we're looking at is that um, the object of our belief, right? So we're not talking about believing in Santa Claus or in Christmas magic or in some kind of vague feeling, goosebumps in the back of your back or whatever. We're talking about believing in the one true sovereign God of the universe. That's what this is calling us to. And so by the time the book of Joshua opens up, those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness have passed. And so this is, this is take two, okay? Like, you guys blew it the first time. Now we're ready to try it again. They're teed up to make their entrance into the promised land again. And the first obstacle they come across is this walled city of Jericho. And so Joshua sends out two spies in advance. Now, that sounds kind of familiar, right? We've seen this before, right? We, we, we know that when the spies went last time, 40 years previously, that's when everything went south. And so, you know, if you're an informed reader and you're reading through this book, you, you know that the author is intentionally he's setting it up for us to, wander, to wonder, did they learn their lesson, right? Or is this gonna be deja vu all over again? Are they ready to believe? Are they going to believe this time? That's the the point in this story. And so this time, Joshua sends out two spies, not 12, and they sneak past the gates of the walled city of Jericho. They get on the inside, and it's at that point where they cross paths with this woman that we're talking about this morning, this woman named Rahab. So so let's read how the uh, introduction goes. It says this in Joshua 2, verse 1. It says, Uh, Joshua sent two men secretly as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not where they went. Uh, pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. All right, so we'll stop there. And one thing we find out immediately in this story is that God's list is a lot different than Santa's list. Okay, so, so Santa has a list. You've heard about it, right? And in this list, you are either on the, the nice list or you're on the naughty list. And, um, and so what we're seeing here in this story is that God's list is... Isn't Santa's list. And that's good news for us because Rahab, as we're meeting here, we're getting introduced to this uh, character, she would probably make it near the top of the naughty list, right? I mean, she doesn't have a whole lot going for her. Um, Three reasons at least. First is that she's a foreigner, right? That would be strike one. She is not of God's people, she's not an Israelite, she's a Canaanite, and that automatically would identify her. She's the enemy. She's not one of us. She doesn't belong in this story. So that's uh, that's strike one. Uh, Strike two would have been that she's a she and not a he. Now, of course, that ought to be obvious. But you know, in the days that we're living in here, sometimes you can't be too sure. So we'll say it: she's a girl. She's a woman. Um, And in ancient times, these were patriarchal times. What that means is that it's the it's the males who mattered back then. Everything revolved around the men and the females, they were just on the margins. Uh, They were viewed like objects to be used and not like human beings with worth and value and dignity. And so that would be strike two against Rahab. And and strike three is that she is not what you would call um, a model standout citizen, right? She is more like the poster child of this is why God is about to evict the Canaanites out of the land. I mean, she's a, she's a harlot. She's a prostitute. And, and we see here she's ready and willing to lie um, and exaggerate the truth when the situation suits her. So, so if you're reading this story and you start thinking there is no, no way that someone like that can ever hope to be included in what God's doing, that's the point, right? That's, that's exactly the point that it's trying to make. Rahab is the last person you'd ever expect to make their way into God's story. But we know how the story ends already, right? We've seen the family tree, and so we know that that's exactly what happens. She gets into God's story. And, and, so, and so please don't miss the point of that. The point is that if someone like her, with all that she had going against her, if she can get in, then so can someone like you. So can someone like me and and like whoever it is, no matter our failures, no matter our checkered past, no matter however many strikes we have against us, God's list isn't Santa's list thank God that's good news. It's not about where you came from. It's not about what kind of family you're in or born into or whether you've been good and whether your good outweighs your bad, none of that. I I think in many ways, Rahab's story is sort of like a foreshadow of John 3.16 in so many ways. It's one of the most popular verses uh, in the Bible and it really is all about the Christmas story. It's all about what, what the nativity is all about. It tells us why God sent His Son Jesus, um, and who He sent them for, sent him for, and what He wants to do. Uh, it mirrors Rahab's story in so many ways. And um, if you know it, it's that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. And that's, that's Rahab's story. Um, this here, as we're meeting here, we're answering the, uh, the, the who question, that, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that the morally superior, the good guys, the ones who are on the nice list, should not perish but have everlasting life. No, sorry, that's not what it says, right? Let's make sure we read it right. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that, do you know the word? Whosoever. It's a great word. Whosoever believes in him. Whosoever is a big word. I want you to repeat it with me. Whosoever. What what is, who who falls into that category? It's a pretty all-encompassing category, right? So if, if whosoever was a bucket and the bucket had that, you know, that sign of whosoever, who doesn't make it into that bucket? No one. No one gets excluded. That, that means anyone is able to get written into this redemption story that God is writing. It's the very definition of whosoever. And so that answers the question, who? Who? can get in on God's story, whosoever. Even an overlooked, marginalized, foreign prostitute like Rahab. Even you, even me, even the person who seems to have zero going for them still qualifies to get in. That's the who. Uh, The next question is how. And let's keep on reading. It says, uh, as we continue on in Joshua, it says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there is no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Stop right there. So, so we saw Santa's list is separates the naughty from the nice. Uh, God's list separates those who believe from those who don't believe. And, and it sounds kind of primitive here, but what we just read is an authentic profession of faith. This is Rahab's profession of faith. And, and so we, we want to like contrast what she says and where she's at with where, where the Israelites had been 40 years previous, when things went bad. So Rahab, she's very clear about it. She's like, I'm terrified. Everyone in the city of Jericho, we're, we're filled with fear, just like the Israelites were 40 years previously. But, but unlike the, the those Israelites, she's also filled with faith. What she has that those Israelites didn't have is belief. She doesn't just believe in this like head knowledge kind of way that You know, some kind of God, I believe, exists somewhere out there. Yes, I assent to that. No, that's not where she's at. She believes in him specifically. She knows his name. He's the Lord. And she clearly articulates that she believes this God of the Israelites is not just a God. He is the God. He is the sovereign Lord of all who is able to do anything he wants big contrast from what they would have believed back then, which is you've got your territorial gods. And so if you live here, you believe in this God. You live there, you believe in that God. And all the gods get along. And this is just blowing that whole thing up. There's one God. There's a creator God. She believes that this God is at work and that what he is doing cannot, will not be stopped because he's not just one God among many. This is she says, the Lord your God is the God in the heavens above and the earth below. In other words, everything is subject to him. She, she's, she's articulating uh, a God that goes beyond, you know, what we often hear today. You really need to believe in a God as a coping mechanism. If believing in God helps you get through the hard times, then you should choose a God and believe in it. That's garbage, right? This is recognizing that there is a creator, You're not him, I'm not him, but he exists, and we are creation. All of us are creation, and that means we are subject to the creator, that he exists above and beyond everything and everyone. He is Lord of all. Rahab got that. She understood what the Israelites missed so long ago, and so she may never be a model of purity, at least not at this point in her life but you know what she is? She's a model of the kind of belief that God is looking for. This is what he's after. This is what matters. This is what he wants most. He doesn't want for us to just go clean up your act, get yourself together, and move yourself from the naughty list to the nice list. That's not what gets you into God's story. It doesn't get any of us into God's story. He will take care of cleaning us up himself, but what he wants us to do is to believe him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever, not that whosoever does enough good deeds, that their good outweighs their bad, will not perish but have her left everlasting life. No, whosoever believes. The baseline is belief. That's where it starts. And the reality is any of us can choose to believe right? You don't have to have had years of walking with the Lord or going to church. You don't have to have an advanced degree in theology to believe God. You don't have to come from a particular family or have titles on your door or accomplishments under your belt. It's simply a matter of trusting in who God is and what it is that he's doing. That's what Rahab did. So we see the, the who, right? The who is whosoever. Uh, we've seen the how, which is believe. And the last part is the what. What are we believing God for? And the answer is we're believing him. We're trusting in him. We're relying on him for rescue, for redemption, for nothing less than salvation. Let's keep reading. Rahab says, now please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. The men say to her, our life for yours even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. The men said to her, behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother and brothers and all your father's household. And if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head." But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So Rahab makes this incredibly bold ask. And maybe you have figured out that once you have come to terms with who God is, and you've understood that the real God is a big God, that he's sovereign, that he can do anything he wants, then you understand that you can go to him and make big requests. It only makes sense. And so, you know, she's getting as close to this God as she can, which is the representatives that are there in her house, and she asks them for something she can never do on her own. She asks them to save her for them to rescue her and her family, that when everything in her world comes crashing down like pieces of a Jenga game, she says, save me. Deliver our lives from death. She knew that was right on the brink of happening. And what's fascinating is that the spies make a deal with her. And it, it really is, it's kind of astounding they actually go to the extent of forming a covenant, which is a big deal back in those times. They, they make actual vows to her. They bind themselves to this foreigner, this woman, this harlot, who just asked them to save her. When the walls come down, they promise to protect and to rescue her and her family and to bring them to safely. And here's the deal. They say, take this scarlet red rope, this cord, and that's the marker. Make sure it 's hanging out your window when we when we come in when the walls come crashing down, and so we guarantee the safety of everyone under the roof of where that scarlet cord is hanging from and maybe it kind of jogs your memory if you 're familiar with some of the Old Testament stories. It sounds strangely reminiscent of another salvation story, uh, one that happened in Egypt the night before the Israelites were. Were rescued from that scenario, and that in that case, it wasn't a cord in a window. It was the red blood of a lamb that they were told to spread on the doorpost, and everyone inside the home whose doors was covered in the blood of the lamb was safe. That's where the, the Jewish celebration that's still celebrated today we call a Passover. That's where it came from. And both of those stories are, I believe, their shadows. That point to the ultimate salvation that came on Christmas, that led to Easter, um, that Jesus was born on Christmas to accomplish that he is the Lamb of God. He came to take away the sin of the world, to do what you and what I could never do on our own. And to do that, it took him to the cross where he shed his blood to pay the price for our sin. And his promise Is that we who are covered in his blood, that we can live with the expectant hope that we will not perish, but have everlasting life. Not because of how good we are, but because of the goodness, because of the faithfulness of the one who made the promise to save us. And so in in Rahab's case, it kind of started her on this journey of faith. Right From the moment those spies left till the moment they returned to rescue her, she was just believing in the promise they made. It's the same kind of journey of faith that you and I, Christ followers today, we are living on right now as we wait our own rescue. So Rahab tied that scarlet cord to her window and she would have waited and watched. And that cord represented everything that she had her hope set on everything hinged on whether those spies were going to do what they said they would do, whether they were going to keep their promise to save her. And we don't know how long it took, but the day eventually came when she would have looked out her window and she would have seen the Israelite armies. They were marching around the walls of Jericho several times. They just don't know what's going on. And at some point, the walls come crashing down. The sound must have been deafening. And there she would have been huddled in her house, family around her. She hears that sound of footsteps and she looks and she sees those two familiar faces and without a word, they take her by the hand and they lead her out safe and sound. You know, as Christ followers today, we are waiting for faith to be sighted. We are waiting for Jesus' second coming. And as we do that, we are believing the promises, actively trusting that God is gonna do what he promised to do. And as we do, we're waiting, we're trusting, we're watching, and we're hoping. So here's what this story tells us is that God is a promise maker, and he's a promise keeper. And there's no telling what could happen to the least life, the least likely life who simply chooses to believe and build their life on the solid ground of his promises Anything can happen. And Rahab is exhibit number one. She gets so much more than she could have ever expected or asked for. So, so here's, how it, here's how it ends, and I've got to skip forward about three chapters to when she was rescued. Um, it says this, but to the two men who had spied on the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as she swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her, and they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel, and they burned the city with fire and everything in it. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Fascinating. She's not just saved, she's brought in to the community, brought in to the people of God, given so much more than she ever expected. Have you ever been to a class reunion? You know, 25 years, I don't even know what I'm up to these days, but uh, <laughs> man, what a interesting thing it is. It's fascinating. You go in and you see what, here's what they were like back then, and here's what they are now, and sometimes it's interesting, like, oh, wow, you know, you were, like, most likely to succeed, and look at, a nice life, yes, you know, and you got, like, you know, nobody paid any attention to you, and look at you now, this is amazing, there's, like, a lot of surprises, right, a lot of, like, heaven, a lot like Rahab and Jesus' family tree, and I think if Rahab had gone to a class reunion, people would have been shocked, about what she had turned into. She went from the outside to the inside, and she's woven right into the very center of God's redemption story. She goes from Rahab the harlot to Rahab the hero, a hero of faith. She she became, just to give you the advance on where we're going, is she became the mother of Boaz, and Boaz married a lady named Ruth. There's a whole book of the Bible written about their story, And she became the great, great, great grandmother of King David, Rahab. It doesn't stop there, though, right? Because we've already seen she's part of Jesus' genealogy. And she's mentioned two other times in the New Testament, not as a harlot, but as a hero of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. She is right there in the Faith Hall of Fame. These are the standouts. She's just someone who knew how to grab hold of God's promises. What can happen when we grab hold of God's promises and believe him? So who can get into God's story? Anyone. What can become of a life that's written into God's story? Anything. And those promises that she grabbed onto, they're still there for us for you and I to grab hold of today. See, in so many ways, Rahab's story is is my story. It's our story. We're on the outside. We don't belong, but somehow we've been brought in because of the great grace, the gift of God that we chose to believe in. I don't know what the chapter of your life right now looks like, But I just want to challenge you, encourage you, urge you to call on the name of the Lord. Invite him into your life and and watch what he can make of it. How much more he can make of it than we are ever able to do on our own. And, And that journey of faith just continues to unfold in our lives day by day as we grab hold of his promises with all that we got and watch what he makes of us. Let's pray together.